Well, good morning to KCC, and thanks for joining us online this morning. We're going to turn to God's Word in just a moment or two, but before we do that, let's just pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new day, and we thank you for your majesty. We thank you that you are knowable, but yet unknowable. There is a mystery to your majesty and your greatness We thank you that you love us so much that you've sent Jesus to die for us and to rise again that we might know him. And we thank you that as he sits at the right hand of you in heaven and prays and intercedes for us that we can know your grace, we can know your forgiveness. We thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit who is our counsellor and our comforter and we ask for your help today. We recognise in this pandemic that at times things can be difficult, we can be frustrated, impatient, we can be irritable, we can be falling into sinful ways because of us not looking at the way of the cross. And so this morning as we think about what it means to be a disciple one who's called to follow in the way of the cross, I pray that you would remind us of the goodness of your grace and of the importance of the cross. So come, we pray, Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, open our eyes and our ears to the truth of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So continuing on our series, Who Do You Follow?, And we're going to be thinking in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38 this morning. And as I said in my prayer, we're going to be thinking about called to follow in the way of the cross, which in many ways sounds probably a bit strange to people within society. Why would you want to follow in the way of the cross? And it does seem foolishness to man, but we need to be reminded of the truth and the freedom that is found when we look to follow in the way of the cross. And so we're going to see that as we look through this passage this morning. And I want us to think about this in three key areas. By denying ourself to find true self, by losing our life in order to find life, by being poor in order to be rich. So we're essentially thinking about what is a disciple? What is a follower of Jesus? Have you ever thought of that recently? What does it mean to be a disciple if you are a disciple? Or if you're exploring the Christian faith, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? And what I'm seeing in this passage is by denying ourselves to find true self, by losing our life in order to find life, and by being poor in order to be rich. And we're going to see that as we go through. So first of all, in Mark chapter 8, 34, if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, preferably be a Bible because you can get distracted with the notifications that are coming in on your phone. I've said before, I know I would if there were football scores popping up. So grab a Bible if you can. We're going to look in the Bible at Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And we're going to think about denying ourselves to find true self. So verse 34 says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So this is beginning with a command. 
that that anyone wants to come after me, if you want to follow me, Jesus is saying, he called to the crowd and to his disciples. He'd previously been talking to his disciples, but now to the crowd and the disciples. If you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What what does this mean? We may have heard this a number of times or maybe we're hearing it for the first time. Well, we have a tendency sinfully to want to be independent and not dependent. We simply have a desire to want to be independent of God and others rather than dependent on God and others. And so when he's saying, come after me and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, he's saying, well, don't just go it alone and do your own thing. Don't strive for independence. Strive for dependence on me. Deny yourself. Deny yourself and take up your cross. And this was offensive in the day as he was saying this as it would be now that Jesus is not saying construct your own identity be whatever you want to be go wherever you want to go he's not saying that you are the captain of the ship the CEO of the universe he's saying that actually deny yourself and there might be many universities around the country that would no platform Jesus for saying that There might be people that cite Jesus as instigating a hate crime, stirring up the masses to live an alternative way that seems offensive to us, that because I need to fulfill myself, I need to have my self-esteem boosted. And so I don't want to be told that I am to deny myself and take up the cross. And the cross was a sign of execution. So why would I want to essentially deny myself and pursue a type of execution? Is he inciting people to something, rallying the troops? Is he inciting people to live a a different kind of way? Well, he is asking us to live a different kind of way. He's asking us to live in the light of the cross and to live and follow in the way of the cross, which means denying ourselves to find true self. Now, as I thought about this this week, we could probably think for quite a long time or discuss in our home groups, what does self mean? What does the self mean? You know, who am I? What is myself? And in the original Greek, that's psyche. What is my psyche? We could be thinking about that for a long time. And we do think about that in more of a kind of contemporary way every day through things like Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, where we broadcast something of ourself to the world. But more often than not, where there is a jarring is that it's a edited version of ourself that we often present to the world. Many studies are showing that many young people in particular are struggling with mental health because there is a broadcasting of oneself where one wants to present oneself as being perfect and you can't match that in real life. So put something out on TikTok or Instagram, but 
have to have a conversation in real life where you present yourself, then that becomes more difficult because we can't self-edit in the same way. And Jesus is presenting us with a whole new way of being human in which we deny ourselves and we take up a cross and we become like Jesus. We enter into the sufferings and the joys of Jesus, that there is a new way of being human, a new way of self when we follow in the way of the cross. So John Stott helpfully says this, the meaning of self-denial is not the denial of the four C's, chocolate, cigarettes, cakes, and cocktails. Now, not all of those things are particularly great for your health, but essentially what John Stott is getting at is that this denying oneself is not the same as self-denial. It's not like Lent, for Lent, I'm going to give up chocolate. I'm going to deny myself the pleasure of chocolate. It is quite different. The denying of oneself that Jesus is talking about is the same Greek word that's used when Peter denied Jesus himself. So it's a forgetting about, it's a putting behind oneself and completely. It's not just a case of like, well, I muster, must muster up some willpower so that I don't have chocolate for Lent. And in the picture behind me where the distress of Peter denies and disowns Jesus. But what Jesus is asking us to do is to deny and disown the old self, the sinful self. Don't engage with that selfish self. Don't massage your ego, as it were, but deny yourself and have a new self, a new creation, a redeemed self found in Jesus and Jesus alone, that we can have a new way of living, a new way of being human by following in the way of the cross. And this is quite a long quote, so you may see it on the screen behind me or not, but I'm going to read it. Helpfully, Glenn Harrison, who's a Christian professor of psychiatry at Bristol University, says this in regard to self. So digest this one. We'll try and take it not too quickly so we can understand it a bit more. Contemporary culture places before us a smorgasbord, a range of things, of possibilities for self-invention. And when we grow tired of one reality of self, we may simply choose another. So that's interesting. Let me just pause on that quote there. So what he's saying, within society, you can self-invent yourself. You don't like that version of yourself. Well, simply choose another. Because if it's not working for you, well, choose another identity that does seem to work. And why not? The problem is rather obvious. In a world of limitless choice and endless possibility, with no guide or map to provide an external point of reference, how do we choose? So in other words, I think what he's getting at here is, is that if there's no big overarching narrative like the gospel telling us what it means to be human, what self means and what our identity is, then actually you just go pick another narrative that you want. There's so many other choices. So where do we find a point of reference? Is it TikTok? Is it by our friends on Instagram? 
Is it by our friends at school? Is it by our friends at college or university? Is, what, is it what we read in fiction books? Is it what we see in the movies? Is it what we see on Netflix? We will find a point of reference to which we will then identify ourselves with. So how do we choose? And he says, as we look within, which facet of our inner experience will help us to decide today? So it can be flitting. Just what am I going to be today? And we live in that kind of world. We're going to be exhausted because like, who am I? Who's myself? Who am I going to choose to be today? Should we follow this fleeting thought or that whim? This feeling or that impulse? What is freedom turns out to be a terrifying hall of mirrors. So young people, especially, I want to talk to you for just a moment, but everyone else as well. But especially you young people watching today. When you are looking at your screen and you are seeing that it appears that other girls seem prettier than you, that other boys seem stronger than you, that other people seem to be getting better grades than you or have a newer laptop than you. When you are seeing all these things as you're looking at them, how are you filtering them? Are you feeling that you need to be like everyone else, that you need to be perfect, that you need to be somehow in competition with others and you feel often a failure? Well, your identity does not need to be shaped by TikTok or Instagram It doesn't need to be shaped by the latest thing. You can know freedom when you find your identity in Jesus today. And I, as a pastor, am concerned for this generation that you are part of that feels increasingly challenges regarding mental health because of a need to feel like you need to be somebody else. Know this today that the gospel frees us from this, that we can know love like no other when we find our identity in Jesus. And not just for young people, but for all of us. We need to be careful that it's not our work that's driving us and that's where we find our identity. Or it's not success or it's not how our house looks, it's not other things that build our identity external to us, but that we find our identity in Jesus. And why do I talk about this? And why have I spoken about it before? It's because over the last 15 years, this is the main thing that is going on within society and philosophy, that actually identity and identity politics are absolutely key And so Jesus says a lot about this in just this one verse that we've covered when he says, if you want to come follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so we get an image of self. So if that's not really what we want to be, we don't want to be going after what social media tells us to be. What do we need to be doing in terms of knowing what it is to have a true image? Well, an image of self we're given from creation. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So God has created you in his own image. In the image of God, he's created us. So God is Father, Son, and Spirit. God is not singular in the sense that it's actually just me, myself, and I, just an individual as we're encouraged to live, but that God is already a relational God. 
God the Father and the Son and the Spirit loving each other. And so, as Ellis Potter says, that meaning is found in relationship. It's not just found in the one. It's always found in relating to that which is outside of yourself. And so God is Father, Son and Spirit. And he has created us in his image to be relational because he is relational. And he's created us in the image of God, male and female. And when he created us, he said that it was good. And so he loves the fact that we can be human. He loves the fact that we can work and create and make and bake and shape. He's created us in his image. And so he wants us to live life and to enjoy him and enjoy the things that he's given us. And so he's created us in his image to be free, to be relational and find meaning in him. But there's another image in denying ourselves to find true self, and that image is found in the cross. So if he's created us in his image, uh, John Stott says the, the cross shows us how we are to view ourselves. So if we're made in his image, the cross shows us how we are to view ourselves too. Now that might sound incredibly weird if we just stand back, back from that for a moment. How does the cross show us how we are to view ourselves? We'll look earlier in the passage in Mark 8, in verse 31, where Jesus predicts his death. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So that the way that we can know freedom, the way that we can know true identity in Jesus is by Jesus coming, living amongst us, dying on the cross, paying the price for our selfish, sinful ways and enabling us to know forgiveness and to know what it is to overcome death as he was resurrected and as he ascended to heaven and as he will one day come back and make all things new. And so this is the important thing about understanding how the cross shows us how we are to view ourselves. You see, the cross enables us to be forgiven but what Jesus is not asking us to do is to be the saviour of the world. He's not asking us to go and die on a cross that we might save the world, but he's asking us to follow the way of the cross, which is entering into his sufferings so that a watching world will see that as you face trials this week, as we know some of us are, that as we face difficulties and challenges, that we look to Christ and follow the way of the cross. So that as we face opposition or as we face shame or as we face accusation or as we face those who mock us for being believers in Jesus, that we enter into the way of the cross and know the closeness of Jesus by the Spirit as we follow him. And that's part of us denying ourselves. And so the cross shows us that we it's not about pursuing a life of comfort. It's not about us getting ourselves in a place where we feel we can then actually be Christian. But it's recognizing that we need Jesus. It's coming on our knees. It's opening our hands to him and saying that I can't do this myself. But I know the way of the cross is, is that I deny myself and follow you and you give me what I need. But we're also to see that it's by losing life in order to find life. How does that work? 
Well, Mark 8.35, look down in the passage in Mark 8, Mark 8.35. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. So if we want to save our life, we'll lose it. So we can hold on so tightly to the things of this world and our life that ultimately we will lose it. We will lose it because we're not denying ourselves and recognizing that we need Jesus in order to have life. But whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. So the moment that we find true life is when we let go of our life. So when we're trying to hold on to our life and be in control of everything and all of our circumstances, we will not find life. But when we look to Christ, when we look to the cross and we're willing to lose our life, just as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, so we too will find life. William Templer, who was uh, a Archbishop of Canterbury, said that my worth is what I'm worth to God. My worth is what I'm worth to God. And I think sometimes we hold on to life so much because we think that's what's worth it. And what we need to see is what's really worth it is living our life for Christ and knowing the joy of that salvation now and forevermore. William Temple had many health problems in his life. And so when he talks about my worth is what I'm worth to God, is that he recognizes that Jesus sees him as worthy because he's laid down his life for him. He's worthy to God and he's worth lots to God. And sometimes we can be thinking so much about what other people think of us, but we forget that actually our worth is what I'm worth to God. So we need to lose our life in order to find true life. But we need to also think about being poor in order to be rich. Well, how does that work? Verses 36 and 37. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So being poor in order to be rich, again, it seems like a kind of a contrast of paradox that if we're poor, then we can be rich. But if we're seeking to be rich, then actually ultimately in, in and of itself, and that's where we find our identity, then we'll end up being poor because we literally can't take all that wealth, as it were, with us. Spurgeon helpfully says that the most healthy state of a Christian is to be always empty in self and constantly depending upon the law for supplies, to be always poor in self and rich in Jesus, weak as water personally, but mighty through God to do great exploits. And when Spurgeon talks about this in terms of us essentially seeing ourselves in the true light of who Jesus is in order to be rich, it got me thinking about, about our lives and do we just see that we have our lives and we have enough energy or health or money or food. But now and again, we just need Jesus to give us a bit of a top up. I was thinking about like a phone charger. You know, if you've got a Samsung phone or an Apple phone, that you occasionally will need to top that phone up throughout the day. You'll go and get the charger and top up the power. And I wonder sometimes 
is that the way that we think about discipleship, living and following Jesus? That, well, when I'm feeling okay and I'm doing all right and I'm going about my work or going to school or college, you know, I don't really think about God so much or I don't really need to pray so much. But when I hit a bit of a trouble and I, I begin to lose power, well, I just need to top up the battery a bit, as it were, and then I pull the plug out again and then I go back to my own life. And what Spurgeon is saying and what Jesus is saying in terms of us trying to hold on to the to the world and, and, and our riches, as it were, is that we need to be surrendered to God in such a way that we're wholly dependent for him, to him, for power all of the time, that we're plugged in to him all of the time. So that the most healthy state of a Christian is to be empty in self, constantly depending on the law for supplies, to always be poor in self and rich in Jesus. Look, I'm, I'm not rich in, in and of myself, but I can be rich in you, Jesus. That I'm weak as water personally, Jesus, but I'm mighty through you. It's not about me trying to be mighty, presenting an edited version of myself, but I recognize that I'm weak and I need to be mighty through him in order to do great exploits. Isn't that freeing? To know that you do not have to be the one constantly topping up the power and being on it, but that when you're plugged into Jesus, as it were, he supplies your needs, even though you feel weak, he is with you and he is with me. But also being poor in order to be rich, we find at the end of this little section, something that actually most commentaries don't even talk about, which is interesting. Uh, having studied theology and um, looking at commentaries for preaching, it's always quite interesting that some of the slightly trickier bits are missed out. And as a preacher, I know why that can be, because it's easier. But look at verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, this is a sobering reminder that we should not be double-minded, that we should not be ashamed of Jesus, that we should not be ashamed of the gospel. He's talking immediately to those who are listening, but I believe to us as well. And we should not be ashamed on the basis of what he's just told us, that when we deny ourselves and follow him, we find life, we find true identity. Now, there's a program that was on the BBC called The um, Air Hunters. Now, I have to confess, I haven't watched a full episode of that. But it got me thinking about the context of this passage. You see, imagine if somebody got in touch with you from that program and said, believe it or not, you are related to, I don't know, Lord Sutherland up in the Highlands. And there's no other uh, people that are due this inheritance, but we've tracked you down. And we have found that you are entitled to £20 million and the estate. And you would be like, wow, that's, is that true? Is that, is that really me? And as you've gone through the evidence and you found that out, it is indeed true that you are the only remaining living um, relative of Lord Sutherland and that you are due that money. Now, in receiving that news and that inheritance, it would be very odd over the period of a day or a week or a month or a year if you never told anybody that news. It would be odd if you never told your immediate relatives or your best friends or even others. 
But to know that news that you've inherited 20 million pounds and this estate, you would surely be bubbling up inside and wanting to say to somebody, you'll never guess what. These people have been in touch and I'm related to Lord Sutherland and I have this inheritance and all this money. Isn't it incredible news? But we, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and receive his forgiveness, have a greater inheritance and are so rich in Jesus that nothing else compares to this. And Jesus is saying that, you know, if you are with me and if you are for me, then you will want to share this good news with others. You will not be wanting to be ashamed of me, but you need to accept that this is your inheritance. You need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And you need to declare this to others. And yet, so why is it that we do not often share this good news? Why is it that maybe some of us have completely walked away from the faith? Well, maybe it's because we don't see the richness that's found in the truth of the gospel and the goodness of who Jesus is. And we need to be reminded of that today, that we need to have our hearts warmed by the goodness of this, to be overflowing with the amazement of this inheritance that's due in Christ and not to be ashamed of that. So we're called to follow in the way of the cross by denying ourself to find true self by losing our life in order to find life, and by being poor in order to be rich. Isn't it amazing that when we follow in the way of the cross, we truly find the freedom of what it is to know what it is to be human and to be following and known by Jesus. So having heard this, how are we gonna respond? I've been praying before this talk and in this room that the Lord would change you as well as he changes me. You see, I can't change your thinking and I can't change you to live in the light and the way of the cross, but the Holy Spirit can. And I read this quote by Kevin Van Hooser, which I hope you will find helpful as I have. Through hearing the word of God, as we have, the spirit can break us, humble us, and make us more like Christ. And that is my prayer for you as a church, as it is for me, that hearing the word of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit can break us, humble us, and make us more like Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this reminder of what it is to live in a way that is truly human that we can know how to live because of Jesus, that when we deny ourselves and take up our cross and when we follow you, we can know the freedom of what it is to have our true self affirmed by you. And so help us to not gravitate to the old self, but help us to know the freedom that there is in being identified with Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us to live in the light of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, then please do. If you want to get in touch with Colin, please do. If you're a young person and you find it easier to get in touch with Pip and uh, ask questions, especially in the light of what I've said today, please do. But equally, 
young or old, um, please do get in touch with me. I'm happy to answer any questions or chat through anything that you're maybe struggling with at the moment or any questions you've got. Love to hear from you. So um, have a great week and know his blessing as we follow him and we follow in the way of the cross. Thanks.